I was thinking about all this as we were putting this service together, and, and then one thing else got thrown in there, and another thing got thrown in there. And they all fit together around God's love for us and for each other. Even the gems. We love each other. We care about each other. We want the best that God can do for each and every one of us. And so we uphold each other in prayer and we love each other and we show it in any way that we can. And so that's what we encourage you to do. And, and the Apostle Paul, we've been studying Colossians together. He continues to write to them in the second chapter. And I'm going to read these verses this morning and think about them. And the Apostle Paul has a purpose in writing. And I have a purpose in preaching. And you have a purpose in your life. So listen carefully. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. None of us have met him, but he struggled for us. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom we are hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so you may not be deceived by the fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, God. Thanks be God. I don't know if you thought about this. You should. What is the purpose of your life? What do you expect to do with your life? Now, when you get to be about the end of your teenage years, I think you start to think about those questions quite a bit. What, what's the purpose of life? And then sometimes when you get older, you think about it even more because you wonder, my life is almost over. What was the purpose of everything I did? What is the purpose of life? The Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way. It says, what is the chief end of man? Or what is the purpose of life? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I thought about that a little bit. I think that all of us probably have heard that we ought to glorify God. But he wants us to enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of life. Now I know this is the case. A lot of people have a purpose in their life to make money. Others have a purpose in life to care and love their family. Still others live for recreation, maybe like golf or fishing. Those are things I do. So, you know, I think about that. Is that the purpose of life, to go golfing and fishing? Or maybe it's to get to retirement. Is that the purpose of life? Nothing's wrong with those things that I mentioned. They're okay. Sometimes they're lots of fun. They're even good things. 
But money without glorifying God is just plain selfishness. Family without enjoying God could be an idol. You could make your family in the place of God. You could make them an idol. And recreation that does not glorify God is merely personal gratification. I said I, I like the golf and I like the fish. Well, I like the fish a lot more than I like the golf because you don't keep score in fishing, not as much anyway. You know, you can just be out there and enjoy it. If you're close to God and you're enjoying Him, no matter what you're doing, you're going to be able to see God. You're going to be able to know Him. Some of, some of my closest moments to God weren't when I was catching a fish, necessarily, but when I was out fishing and I was seeing all this creation, the eagles soaring and landing in a tree next to me, the loons swimming on the lake and diving to feed themselves and their young, the beautiful woods, the lake at sunset, and sometimes I burst into song. So if you're ever out on a lake and you hear a guy singing, you know it's probably me. But that's just the way, because I enjoy God. That's the purpose of life, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Now, you know, if you're just seeking for retirement and, and you don't continue to do that, well, you won't have a very meaningful retirement. I've always said I could only play so much shuffleboard down in Florida and I'd go crazy. So I, I couldn't go down there and just sit down there. That wasn't going to work for me. I didn't think that's what God wanted me to do. And you should know that too. You never retire from glorifying God and enjoying him forever. That's not what life is. And the Apostle Paul wants the Colossians and us to have a purpose, a goal in our lives. And he starts out with these words. First of all, he talks about who he's writing to. This letter was supposed to go to Laodicea too. But my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. Encouraged in heart. We just had all the shepherding team up here. There's one thing they want to do is they want to encourage you. You know, whether it's in illness or whether it's in good times, whatever it is, they want to be there to encourage you. Because that's what enjoying God does. It makes you want to encourage other people. Now, in years past, before I became a pastor, I, I used to get an annual review if you're anything like me, when you got your annual review, and it's a nice piece of paper, and they tell you all these good things that you're doing at work, and then on the bottom of the page they say, these things you could improve on. Where does your mind go? Those things, like, you, they could tell you a dozen things that you're doing well, but when they say these are the things you could improve on, then you're thinking, well, didn't I do that well? or could I, How could I do that better? Or what? That's where you get... Because it kind of stifles you for a while. But encouragement does just the opposite of finding some flaw. Encouragement knows that everybody's flawed. There's problems with everybody, but still you lift them up. Still you build them up. You try to encourage them in everything. Now every good coach 
knows that encouragement is far more effective than yelling at the kids. You know, I've seen coaches that have great plans, and they just yell at the kids, and you can almost watch the kids wilt in front of them. Yeah, they made a mistake in the game. I remember one coach yelling at the kids, don't you want to get that rebound? Why don't you just get that? Of course they wanted to get that rebound. The other team wanted to get that rebound too. But, you know, why yell at them silly things like that rather than encourage them? I had a great high school coach. He had one flaw. When we'd come into the huddle, he'd hit us on the head, and he forgot he had a ring on. (laughs) And it would hurt a little bit. But, you know, I, I never felt like we'd come into the huddle and he'd say, well, you know, Huckster, you didn't do this right, or Huckster, you didn't do that right. It was always encouragement, and we played better because of it. And Paul knows that the church that is encouraged is far better than the church that isn't. He wants them to know this. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. Now, this is the thing. This is going into your mind right now, because you're hearing me. But I want it to go into your heart. I don't want it to be just in your mind. I want it to be in your being, that you understand how much God loves you in Jesus Christ And you're encouraged. Because the heart is the center of your being. The heart is where from everything comes. So if the heart is encouraged, the whole being will be encouraged. And the Apostle Paul knew that. He said, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. He didn't say in their minds. He said in heart. And all of you gems, you know, when you go, I'm sure your counselors want you to be encouraged in heart. They're going to teach you stuff that's going to go in your head, but it's got to come into your heart. Because where it is in your heart is where it stays, and you have real encouragement. The church that encourages each other in their hearts is a church that flourishes. But he said one more thing here, didn't he? He said he wanted them to be united in love. United in love. Encouraged in heart and united in love. That's another reason we had the shepherding team come up here. So that we'd be united in love. They want to show God's love to you through them. They want you to be united in love. The church that is not united in love will flounder and fail, but the church that is united in love will go through all the troubles of life. They'll float like that orange rather than sinking because they have Christ around them and in them, and they can go through life. Now, a few things that the church has to do in order to be united in love, is first of all, they have to know what is true and right. That's why I'm teaching today. You see, doctrine isn't something that is unimportant, because doctrine is the foundation that allows us to build 
in order to be united in love. But doctrine without practicing that doctrine doesn't build us in love. We must be united in doctrine, we must be united in practice, and we must be united in community. And it's actually love that unites us. It unites us. Now the word here, there's a couple New Testament words for love. One is phileo, great word. It's the love that you have between brothers and sisters and family and friends. It's just natural love. But this one is agape, which is the love that God had for the world and gave himself for the world because agape love is sacrificial love. How are you united in love? It's not just the personal bonds that hold you together. It's not that we're all from Pella. It's not that we're part of a family. It's that we're united in sacrificial living in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the love that unites. The love that considers other before it considers self. Because that's the way Jesus loved us. He did not consider the glory that he had to be something to grasp, but he emptied himself and became a man. He even took on the form of a man, without sin, of course, and he died for us. This is love. This is the love that unites. Love that sacrifices. This is highly disciplined love. This is unbreakable love. Because this is the love that God has for us in Christ. So this is the purpose. So that. Now this is what happens then when you're having this purpose. When you're encouraged. When you're united in love. When you're encouraged in heart. United in love. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. A couple weeks ago I talked to you about the mystery. The mystery is Christ. And he wants us all to know the fullness of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. Because then we're encouraged. Then we're bound up in love then we know who we belong to. This is the mystery that he has. Paul's not satisfied that people simply know the basics. Because knowledge is one thing, but believing the mystery of God in Jesus Christ is quite another. And that's where he wants us to be. He wants us to know the full riches of complete understanding. And it is Christ. Christ in you. To know Christ is to be rich beyond imagination. No matter how much money you have, if you don't know Christ, you are poverty stricken. You have nothing at all. To know Christ is to be rich. To not know him is to be impoverished. So the goal of our church, in any church, is to fully know Christ in everything. Because in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
You may think you're pretty smart, but if you don't know Christ, you know nothing at all. Christ is knowledge. Christ is wisdom. Christ is understanding. Christ is the center of your life and mine. Apart from Christ, we have nothing. Apart from Christ, we sink to the bottom. That's what's going to happen if you don't really follow Christ. With Christ, no matter if we're surrounded by all the troubles of this world, he will lift us up. He will get us through. You know, the problem with people in this world is they don't believe this. They think that somehow or another, they need money. I had a privilege of going on a trip to Alaska, and, and there's a mountain that the people who were going to the Klondike Gold Rush had to go up. And they could carry about 100 pounds up that mountain by themselves. And it was rigorous. And these men would do this for what? For gold that perishes. Their whole life was consumed by one thing to get that gold up in the Yukon. But not us. Our life should be consumed by Christ. Because those riches fade away. The riches of Christ are forever. And so let's pursue Christ with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our understanding. For Christ is everything. He's the fullness of God. But he knew that in Colossae and Laodicea there were those that were deceiving they, they had fine-sounding arguments. They were great philosophers. They were talking about things that they thought they were so wise. He says, don't get taken in by all those things. You need to know this. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I think it's just the same today. People come with all these arguments. They say, well, you know... We're supposed to love everyone. And so you should affirm people no matter what sins they're committing. You shouldn't just point out to them that this isn't pleasing to God. Because then they'll be turned away. Sounds so right, doesn't it? Sounds so right when you say love Overall, because you've got to care for them. You've got to be kind to them. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be kind and shouldn't care for people who are lost in sin, but the real care is to point them to Christ away from their sin. Because they're peeling off all their protection. They're rejecting the word of God. They're rejecting the truth. And they're sinking whether they know it or not. And if someone's sinking, they need to be rescued. They need to be rescued. Don't listen to their arguments. They might sound appealing. And I know a lot of believers that have come to church all their life and suddenly they believe these arguments that they hear and then they think this one sin is okay and that sin's okay. And they start to do that because they've been deceived by fine-sounding arguments. God does not want us to be deceived. 
He wants us to know Christ. Christ is clear. Christ created a man and a woman to live together in fidelity. He did not make a mistake in his creation. He did not make a mistake when he gives direction in the New Testament of how man and woman are to live together. But you see the fine-sounding arguments. They start to undermine the truth about how we're to live together as a man and a woman committed to each other in Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived by the fine-sounding arguments. Know Christ and live in his protection and his strength, for he alone can deliver us. And then Paul says a very interesting thing here. Paul never met these people in Colossae. As far as I know, he didn't necessarily meet the people in Laodicea. But what does he say? He says, he's with them. I'm absent from you in body. I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. You know, there's a saying... When the cat's away, the mice will what? Play, yeah. They'll just do whatever they want because the cat isn't there anymore. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. You you can't do whatever you please. I'm there. I'm there even though my body isn't there, but my spirit is there. And my spirit, I pray for you all the time and I love you. And I don't want you to fall into the ways of this world. I want you to be free from sin and all that would bind you. Paul reminds them. He's there with them in spirit. He's there with them in spirit. And he's delighted from the reports he's getting because they're continuing in their faith. They're not giving in to the fine-sounding arguments. They're not following the sinful ways of this world. They are doing what pleases Christ. Now, I've had the privilege of pastoring five churches and seven or eight interims. I I lost track. Quite a few interims. There's nothing that delights me more than to hear a good report about the church where I've been. And it pains me when I don't get a good report. Because why did I minister there? So that they would know Christ, so they'd know his love, so they'd be encouraged in faith, And they live as Christians together. I'm still with them. (laughs) Frequently. In my prayers. In my thoughts. And with my spirit. Even though I'm thousands of miles away from some of them. Like Washington, California, Montana. I delight to hear from them. I want to know what they're doing in faith. And that's the way we should be too. Now, what are you going to take from this sermon? Well, I hope you take these things. Encourage each other. Whenever you have an opportunity, build someone up in Christ. Build them up in Christ. And be united in sacrificial love. 
Love that deeply cares about others. Love that is not so superficial that it approves of things that are being wrong, but rather in kindness and gentleness it points those out and wants people to be rescued from that. But you're united in love. Love is what binds us together with cords that cannot be broken. And pursue Christ. Pursue Christ with all of your being. Read his word daily. Pray to him constantly. Live in Christ. Because it's in Christ that all the treasures of this world are found. And be disciplined people. Be people who are not swayed by all the things of this world that come at us one after another. Be disciplined and stand firm in faith. Do not be afraid. The one who has called you is greater than this world. The one who has called you will never fail you, will never forsake you. I love the things that you're all learning. I can't remember all five of them, but they were perfect things to learn. Learn those things. Apply them in your life. Stand firm in faith. Because Christ will never fail. When the evil one comes to you and says, Christ can't get you out of this. <sighs> Just tell him what Christ has done. Tell him what Christ is going to do. Trust that Christ will never fail. He made his promises and everyone will be kept. Stand firm in faith. This is what Christ wants of you and wants of me. Stand firm that nothing can ever change you. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ, and he's much more than an example. He is our Savior and Lord. He is our King. He rules over us. He cares for us. Nothing will ever change what he has done and is doing. And so we praise you for him. And we pray that in every way you'll bind us together in love that we will be your people and the world around us will be astounded as they see us and they will know that the love of God in Jesus Christ has conquered our lives for Christ is in us. So we pray in his precious name. Amen.